The show that doesn't grab them by the but does occasionally kick them in the ball. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show all the way from the city of Pukalani, Hawaii. That's on the Isle of Maui. Aloha and welcome to it today. Huh? We've got a lot to discuss, don't we? A lot of things have happened. Nikki Haley is out. Hope Hicks is in, but not the White House somewhere else that we'll talk about. And the stories that absolutely don't gain ground and why, that's all coming up. Before we get to all of that, welcome to my humble abode. My name is Shaggy uh, Jenkins. You can find me at the website by the same name, ShaggyJenkins.com, as well as wherever fine social media is served, at Shaggy Live. You can also support us on Patreon, as well as subscribe to us on Spotify or Stitcher, just look for The Shaggy Jenkins Show. And trust me, you'll probably want to go back and review a couple of our episodes because each one of these has been kind of leading up to a a bigger story. And today, uh, well, because all the stories are kind of coming together like uh, weird Lucians flying dangerously close to your face, um, I thought today that I would just take a very somber approach and try to walk through just a couple of stories and what they mean going forward. We begin, of course, with a surprise announcement. Nikki Haley, Hope Hicks, take your pick. Both of them are surprises. Let's start off, though, with Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is the U.N. ambassador and just now came out and said that she is out of the job as of, uh, well, the end of December. At the end of the year, she will be leaving her post as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, a role which, let's just go ahead and say, she's kind of relished in a couple of times. Uh, Famously and gleefully, uh, (laughs) keeping a list of nations that wronged the United States, and much to the chagrin of other nations there, basically updating it every time somebody else acted out of line. Uh, She also uh, very famously defended a lot of Trump's anti-Palestinian initiatives inside the UN, and has been seen kind of as far as Republicans and Democrats alike. And I know what you're thinking. Why would Democrats like somebody that that was appointed by Trump? Well, let's go back into her history a little bit, shall we? Because this is kind of important as news out of the BBC and European papers are kind of speculating what these sudden intentions are. Because, see, Nikki Haley resigning basically leaves a void, a void in uh, one of the more favorable positions that Trump's cabinet has enjoyed. And with this vacancy comes kind of a mystery, why? And that's the question that she is not answering, effectively basically just saying, you know what, I believe in term limits. Really? Why can't people like Mitch McConnell or in Hatch and you get the picture? Why can she believe in term limits and nobody else can? So that already is a little bit of a suspect answer. And remember how I said she was liked by Democrats as well as Republicans? Well, it turns out in her former role as governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley did something rather progressive from a state not normally known for doing those types of things. In the aftermath of a shooting in Charleston where black parishioners during prayer were killed by a white assailant, um, 
she took the bold step, and I say bold because it was only, I don't know, a hundred years later, a bold step of removing the Confederate battle flag from state grounds in the capital of South Carolina as governor, and also took a couple of initiatives that, if you think of the Republican Party as all vile and evil and and anti-just things, she took a lot of actions in her governorship that kind of contradict that image. So it was kind of a weird surprise when, after getting appointed to the United Nations, uh, well, actually, it was a huge surprise that she got so appointed to the United Nations. Let's not forget, during the 2016, Haley, then governor, was actually really, really a big supporter of Marco Rubio and famously went on the attack against Donald Trump when allegations of sexual misconduct and infidelity came up, stating in an interview, these women should be heard. So already we we, we see kind of a, a rebellious spirit within the Trump administration, but one that enjoys high favorability. And it makes you wonder why. Because here's the thing, given the high profile of Nikki Haley's position right now, and given the fact that she has enjoyed a little bit of love from both sides of the political aisle, speculation coming out of the UK and, and of course, France, is that Haley might be setting herself up for a little bit of a run at the presidency later down the line. Now, I know what you're thinking. Really? Because I just saw the press conference with her and Donald Trump sitting there and smiling and talking about how wonderful their working relationship was and her thumbing over uh, Donald Trump saying, I'll be campaigning for this guy. How can foreign press kind of get this uh, inkling that Haley might be aspiring for bigger office? Well, it turns out That's just maybe one of the crazy angles that you can look at when it comes to the snap decision, or at least the supposedly snap decision. Remember, there's been rumors and and, and whisperings around D.C. for months that Haley wasn't going to maintain her job past the end of the year. It's just that with everything else going on in the headlines, nobody kind of really paid attention. So... The rest of the world sees this as kind of, oh my God, bam, she's out quick. But it does seem like here in the United States, we've we've kind of lived under this whole exit strategy that, that, that she knew that she was going to have. But what is on the other end of that has got a lot of people thinking. Because here's the thing. According to her statements, there's nothing. She has no plan. She has nothing to get on with. She is basically retired. Wow. Okay. So she's out of the picture, at least in her words alone. But what her actions say is something else. You see, here lately in the Trump administration, nobody is free from some sort of uh, scandal. And it turns out that not too many days ago, a um, little bit of a scandal was breaking out over Nikki Haley. It turns out that when it comes to her acceptance of public gifts, much like Donald Trump, 
she doesn't see a big deal about it and, much like Donald Trump, kind of downplays, or at least allegedly, downplays the contributions of South Carolina legislators by hundreds or at least dozens of thousands of dollars to get them right up under the whole weird gifting thing. Okay, now when I say weird gifting thing, I mean, you know, the law that basically says, hey, don't have a a high cabinet person in your pocket, uh, you could both be in trouble. But she does kind of openly go out and, and do the same things that Trump does, accepting these lavish gifts, and then, when it comes to paper, downplaying the value. Now, that story was set to just break real large on Friday, which, of course, we know what Friday was. It was the day that everybody was in so much disarray over what the Senate was doing with the Supreme Court. I know that news is kind of a compounded effect here in America, but sometimes we've got to pump the brakes a little bit, guys, and, and, and look at things a little bit more than the five-second blip they get because the story's not sexy. And yeah, it's not a very flattering story when we're talking about Nikki Haley. Unlike the president, she hasn't had tons of extramarital affairs. She hasn't had stories written about her tax fraud or evasion. She doesn't uh, endear herself to any sort of despotic world leader. She is, for all intents and purposes, kind of the clean purveyor of the Trumpian movement. So you would kind of want to know, why would she just duck out suddenly? Well, besides presidential aspirations, which, like I said, foreign countries are, are believing that, I, 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 we'll talk about that in a sec, but the, the, the implications of a scandal at the UN, she's basically went about eight years in public office without a heavy-duty scandal coming through and sideswiping her. Getting out before one does? Well, we've talked about it before. It's, it's kind of like the, the philosophy of gypsy cops. You do some bad things as a police officer in one town, and you resign before the investigation and go get a job in another town as a, as a police officer with a clean record. Yeah, it's... It kind of seems like, and, and I'm saying it seems like, because this is the opinion of a lot of different authors out there in the printed journalism world, and at the same time that they're, they're out there saying these things, uh, nobody has anything accurate to go on because Nikki Haley mums the word. But when we're talking about the speculation of why she's leaving office, it is interesting to note that a story that could have tarnished her politically was just about to drop down through the wire when she decided to 86 herself. And it's kind of an auspicious thing that she did that, especially for the reasons that she did it. Okay, we have to talk real quick about how me and you perceive stories. Okay, little exercise for you. Are you a person that has a news reading app on your phone? Do you find yourself watching cable or network TV news consistently? Do you find yourself picking up printed magazines with in-depth stories about things or daily publications like newspapers? If so, you 
and I need to be a little bit more savvy about what is being thrown in front of us. You see, here's the problem with all of those entities I just mentioned. Unlike public radio and podcasting and all the worlds that I'm I'm really doing my adamant best to jump into here. It's so tough sometimes. But the thing is, is like when you're talking about this side of the communication spectrum, we're not beholden to clients or really chasing, and I know this is going to sound counterintuitive to every radio programmer out there, and for anybody that carries my show and you're a program director, just for the next couple of seconds, plug your ears. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to our pursuit of stories, we're not pursuing them to please the audience or elicit a larger one. Oh God, I know. I just I just sounded the death bell on public radio and, and, and free and open media. No, I didn't. I didn't at all. I basically defined it in a way that you need to understand where people like us in the news media are coming from. Versus when we talk about the broader spectrum, especially when we're talking about stories concerning elected or appointed officials. Now, when you are making media for the sake of eliciting eyeballs and ears, your main goal is to make things... um, God, rabbit hole esque, something that 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 is clickbaitable or 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 just an earworm that gets in there and doesn't let go until the person hears every single word out of your mouth, right? Those types of stories, those sensational stories, though it does rile you up emotionally, it does get you uh, energized to go out there and vote for whatever your beliefs are in this time. I understand it has positive things, but at the same time, it's not really designed to give you the unsexy stories, the ones that aren't built for the wide eyeballs and the wide earwigs uh, type mentality, the clickbaitable stuff, the boring, the mundane, but the damned important foundational stuff that we ignore from time to time merely because the media... Once again, apologies to all program directors that carry the Shaggy Jenkins show. God, I hope you keep it on after this little tirade. But when we put programs together here and content together, we're not doing it in a way to really go mass appeal. We do it in a way that is informative and as much as possible research to the nth degree between the times that we are on the air. Um, We have a staff of like six people here at the Shaggy Jenkins Show, all constantly reading, submitting stories, and writing up segments. It is an operation of love because not a damned one of us gets paid to do it. But we do it because the information is important. And I'm making this, this, this plea to your sanity for one and only one reason. Pay attention to the unsexy stories. The sexy story right now is Nikki Haley is out of the UN as an ambassador uh, for unknown reasons. And, ooh, the salaciousness of those unknown reasons could be anything. Like, she's going to run against the, the Don for the 2020 presidency in the Republican seat. Or or she's going she's gonna to wait until his two terms are over and come sweeping in as a dark horse Republican that's going to ignite the base again. Yeah, all of that stuff 
is salacious. It is it is it is fun to think about. It really is, but it doesn't have as real world consequences. And I know what you're thinking, oh God, real world consequences, Shaggy. If she's pre- no, 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 slow down, because now you're still in the world of speculation. Let's bring it back down to reality. Reality is some of the most unsexy stories this year involve people like Nikki Haley and her taking gifts with underreporting it, much like her mentor and president, Donald Trump. That unsexy story didn't get a lot of traction because it's a lot easier for the mainstream media, for the corporate client-driven media, and that's what you have to call it. It's not just corporate media. They're client-driven media. The clients who contribute the money to support the operation of that network are a part of the editorial process, believe it or not. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, does that mean McDonald's has somebody on the board? No, 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 no. It just means that if they don't like certain things, well, they can call up the uh, the company that they're doing business with and say, well, I'm not going to do business with you if you if you slander me or if you come after me again like that. Or, hey, come on, buddy, I'm a I'm a pal of yours. How about you bury that story under something else? Or, or how about you find something equally bad about my competitor? And sometimes, at the behest of these clients that control the corporate media world, reporters will find themselves trying to defend them merely for the fact of being somewhat on their payroll as a client of their network. Yeah, like uh, take for instance if a fast food chain had a competitor out there and a bad story came out about fast food chain A. Well, somebody that works within the network under their own behest could take it upon themselves to go after fast food restaurant B merely to kind of try to show balance. But to the public? No. To the client dollar. And I bring all of this up because some stories are bigger than we make them because they're not sexy enough to seem big. And one of the one of the biggest unsexiest stories came out in the New York Times on Friday, and we're going to talk about that one in depth in a sec, but an unsexy headline that came out today and something that you should kind of pay attention to. Since we're talking about unsexy things, let's bring up Hope Hicks. Uh-huh, yeah, I see what you did there, Shaggy. Yeah, okay. No, 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 no. When I say Hope Hicks is an unsexy story, let's think about this. She is one of the Trump cabinet members to escape without indictment, even after admitting that she told, quote-unquote, little white lies on behalf of the president and in order to keep things just moving smoothly in the stuck wheels of the D.C. machinations. She literally admitted to lying in front of an investigative panel and nothing bad happened to her. She's 29 years old, doesn't really have a lot of high public-traded company experience, and that's why a lot of people were kind of taken back by her announcement and appointment as the chief communications officer for New Fox. New Fox is going to be the company that results after the merger of Fox and Disney. And New Fox is already kind of shaking things up, one, with pulling its headquarters out of New York because Hope Hicks really likes her L.A. people, and two, by appointing a 29-year-old woman with no major media experience to run 
what is essentially a major media brand, even though New Fox will be pared down. Like right now, under their president, a lady by the name of Henderson, uh, it's... uh, it's pretty big an operation, but after the merger, Hope Hicks is only going to be responsible and, and, and around about, you know, a third of that company. Now, as far as a public relation blitzkrieg, <laughs> you like what I did there? using ger- Okay, no, no, no. We should never use Nazi terminology here on the show, even if it applies to some of these people. Ah, who am I kidding? Look, here's the thing. With this announcement from New Fox that, boom, Hope Hicks is in, it seems like there might be a little bit, how do I say this? Something's weird here. Now, I know that that, that, that there's been a, a couple of people that have said, hey, when it comes to Haley's resignation, you know, uh, it smells like dead fish, looks like dead fish, and somebody's telling you that it's uh, duck a la orange. It's probably the dead fish, and you need to pay attention to what you're seeing. Like with Nikki Haley's story, the whole stinky dead fish in the room is that, yeah, there might be an ugly story about her, but dead fish, once again, not sexy. Hope Hicks, who has had a tumultuous public life, um, let's not forget, she was kind of the gossip girl of D.C., as well as being the the affair queen of the White House. I mean, you remember the story that we talked about almost a year to the date of how the White House was reportedly just affairs left and right, and Hope Hicks was right in the middle of all of it. But that's just it. She has a lot of sensation around her. She is a young, attractive woman with links to the president directly. You know, he called her like the the other daughter that he didn't have. Tiffany was hurt. But Hope Hicks, of course, the daughter that Trump didn't know he had, um, he's very much endeared himself to her publicly. And as such, that levels up her media prestige. But does it really? Because take it from me, somebody that is actually in media, this appointment seems a little off. And, and when I say off, I don't, I'm not going to bring up the lack of her experience with entertainment companies. I'm not going to bring up her lack of experience with uh, be sitting on major boards of Fortune 500 companies. I'm not going to talk about any of that. Instead, I'm going to talk about the imagery that is being put out here. Because it seems like with these announcements of appointments over at New Fox, Hope Hicks was thrown in there as kind of a, a sizzle piece. Now, if you're familiar with anything in, in television or movies or, or even radio, a sizzle piece is a short little demo that's going to excite and in, invigorate people to get behind your product, project and to invest in it and anything. It's, it's like all the best clips from a movie. It's, it's like a trailer, except it's a little bit longer and it's meant to entice people to invest. A sizzle. And it seems like New Fox is is hoping that Hope Hicks, with all of her attachments to the president, and let's just go ahead and say this, the unsexy headlines of her telling lies, admitting that in front of an um, investigative panel, being behind a bunch of the affairs that were happening in the uh, White House, also the, the dealings that she had with Corey uh, Lewandowski, I mean, 
if you downplay all of the crazy stuff that 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 obviously got downplayed and just kind of bring up the ooh look at her she's young she's attractive and she's linked to Trump it seems like New Fox is trying to put her on the board just to get eyes to watch them but I want to bring up another little interesting kind of twist here for the longest time me and the correspondents on this show have been going back and forth back and forth back and forth about the relationship with the Trump administration and Fox Media you know like the Fox and Friends stuff the only giving them the interviews the rally and cry to all of their weird conspiratorial theories spewed by Sean Hannity and the fact that most of their Fox News personalities somehow are on the call list to the president. Hope Hicks, joining the board of New Fox, plays right into this long-standing theory that I and the correspondents have been putting out here on the show that this is about setting up a media empire post White House. Now, I'm sure thinking, but but Cheggy, Hope Hicks isn't a Trump. Isn't she, though? He claimed her as, like, one of his other daughters, said it was one of his, 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 his the nicest people around him. He had to have Hope's, Hope's attention because she was the one that kept him steadfast, just like a good kid would. Kind of wonder where I was going with that, didn't you? But, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a paternal relationship that Trump has with her. And as such, this kind of does seem like one of the kids leaving the household to go make their fortune in another place before bringing dear papa in on the prize. And I know what you're thinking, Shaggy, that's that's crazy, but let's just think about it. You're literally a couple steps away from the White House marrying Fox News with Donald Trump and Kimberly Guilford's whole relationship. And now Hope Hicks named to the board of directors of New Fox? And let's not forget, people like Gorka, who was uh, on Trump's uh, campaign trail, uh, Sebastian Gorka, yeah, they're all on Fox News now. There has been this whole weird cross-pollinization between the Trump White House and Fox News. And when I said sometimes you got to pay attention to the unsexy stories, it's an unsexy story to think what could happen under a Hope Hicks Fox News. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, it's also very, well, very, very important that you don't let the unsexiness of that story Go to Waste. Now, coming up, one of the most unsexy stories we've had and why it got ignored. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Listen. Can you hear it? Listen to the eerie sound of silence from the trumpeteers and congressional Republicans who so loudly cheered themselves just a year ago for bestowing a trillion-dollar tax giveaway on corporate elites. They told us they did it not for the rich, but to help the middle class and poor families. How would enriching the already rich benefit the rest of us? Trickle-down economics 101, said Trump and company, explaining that giving more money to elites would spark, quote, an immediate jump in wage growth because CEOs would use their bonanza to reward workers for their productivity. The White House even got specific, declaring that average pay would jump as much as $9,000 per person. 
But here we are in the thick of the 2018 congressional elections, and shh, silence. Not a single lawmaker who voted for this grand ideological promise is mentioning it, much less running ads touting their role and hammering the plan into law. Why so shy? Because their trickle-down giveaway was a crude hoax from the start. CEOs spent the GOP's trillion-dollar boondoggle on lifting their own exorbitant pay. Moneyed elites got the gold mine, working families got the shaft. Far from a $9,000 income boost, the workaday majority of Americans now find that their hourly earnings are lower than a year ago. But who cares? Being a trumpeteer Republican means never admitting your lies and never apologizing. Steve Mnuchin, a former Wall Street banker who's now the Treasury Secretary, is a perfect example of a blasé, ethically challenged Trump huckster. He recently shrugged off the failure of the bloated tax cut to raise working people's income. Wages are going up on some people, he declared disingenuously. This is Jim Hightower saying, yeah, for multimillionaires like him. Yet he wonders why most Americans despise him and his ilk. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to. For information, visit HightowerLowdown.org. Dig deeper. Remove the hype. Find the facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show all the way live from the city of Bukalani. Aloha and welcome back to it. Oh my God, do we have a lot of stuff to cover. Hey, listen. If you miss any of these episodes, you can find them on Spotify. After we're done with the show, we upload it. That way you can always catch up on things that you missed. And today, you might want to take a listen and re-listen to this as I'm about to I'm about to turn into Dr. Shaggy and lecture you like you were in a college course. Welcome back to my show. I'm Shaggy Jenkins, critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left a normal insane but always centered in common sense and found online at my website, shaggyjenkins.com, or through several services. Just look for The Shaggy Jenkins Show. You can get it on dang near anywhere right now. My web department has been pretty busy. Let's get into something that has um, also been in the news, been put together by a lot of busy, busy, busy people, and took months, over a year, to make. It was disseminated in print, in small video vignettes, as well as disseminated out to other media sources, all the salacial, salacious uh, tidbits and stuff contained in the story. Problem is, the story died within two days. Now, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, it's a story that is so laced with fraud, with lies, with with just outright taking of American tax dollars that it would be something if you paid attention to what was in it. And in a second, I'll explain how that itself might be hard. You would see that the New York Times story that came out on Friday about Trump's history of tax evasion, tax fraud, and bilking the United States government for hundreds of millions of dollars to, you know, benefit his family. All of that story died over the weekend before the Sunday panel shows. Now, if you know anything about stories that break on Fridays, 
most of the time, a story will low-key break on a Friday, and it will kind of nest. It will it'll just kind of float out there. There'll be some chatter about it on social media, but then the Sunday panel shows come along with their correspondents, with their panelists, with their experts, with their congressmen, senators, congresswomen. You get the point, right? They come in, and once they talk about the story, all of a sudden, everybody's ears perks up. The reason why is because those type of stories and those bitter confrontations that happen over those stories on those panel shows is what a lot of news people actually crave. Not just the facts themselves, mundane and boring as they are, but they want the story to give them some sort of emotional feeling, some sort of, ah, anger or satisfaction, gloating, ah, ha, ha, look at those losers over there on that other side. But, and I've referenced this interview so many times, back when Crossfire on CNN was in its first incarnation, John Stewart of The Daily Show, then, then of The Daily Show, went on, the, uh, went on there and basically said, by presenting news like this, you are destroying journalism. You are the worst. And a lot of people kind of just like, hey, yeah, and they gave him some write-ons and some attaboys and stuff. But the, the, the actual point that he made that was not really a grandiose or whoo, big juicy thing the actual point that he made got lost in the passion that people had behind the exchange. The two hosts at the time trying to react and say, oh, John, you're just being facetious. You're just being funny daily show guy. And he's like, no, please stop for all that is good and decent in this country. Stop. And and a lot of people got caught up on, you know, oh, look at the, con- the confrontation. Look at the emotions and stuff. And they forgot the point that he made, and it was a damned accurate but an unsexy point, by presenting the stories like that, we're basically glorifying these things on an emotional level versus a factual implication type level. And that's where I bring up that word, implication. The New York Times story basically implicated the president in Hundreds of millions of dollars of tax fraud. Hundreds of millions of dollars. A lot of us, me included, do not understand the sheer depth of that amount of money. One million dollars, you're thinking, oh yeah, I would do this, I could do this. If somebody said you had $30 million, oh, okay, well, I could do this, and I'll just set the rest back in savings, but that don't really work because eventually the savings run out, and, and you see what I'm saying? Even if we tried to think of what that amount of money could do in our lives, it is not a realistic number. So when people saw that figure coming out in the New York Times, it was already, like, astronomical to them, a value they couldn't understand. And... That's where the other parts of the story came in, because this is the thing. Most stories, 
that hit those panel shows on Sunday are juicy things. You've got, you know, let's just go through a couple of them. Like from the first half of the show, when Hope Hicks admitted to telling little white lies. Of course, the panel shows, both on conservative and liberal media, went nuts with it. Okay, another story, the firing of James Comey. Once again, all the panels just gravitated and jumped on it, and it just became a huge, huge, huge deal to them. But when it comes to understanding stories like this, taxes are something painful for us to discuss. And, and you're probably thinking, no, no, Shaggy, I, I pay taxes. It's nothing painful to me. I might even be a small business owner. I, I know all about my tax codes and stuff. There's nothing uncomfortable uh, about it to me. Really? Really? Is that why most Americans, including most of those in the low and middle class incomes, actually hire somebody else to deal with all of that ludicrousness? Because, you know, we're so interested in our taxes, right? We're, every time that a new tax bill comes up, ooh, yeah, we're all in the headline. No, we're not. We are not. Taxes are, for a lack of a better word, boring. They're laborious to read through. You have to understand things like grantor-retained annuity trust, loans, legal and illegal ones. What is gifting? What is dubious gifting? What is bribery? What is insight? Annuity trust. What are these words? To a lot of people, they have no idea. And that's why when the New York Times printed this story about Donald Trump and his way, way extravagant lifestyle supported by fraudulent markups of expenses and markdowns of assets, a lot of people just kind of go, huh? I mean, it's like this. If Trump had walked into a bank... And he had a shotgun, and he had a joker's mask, and, and, and he, he did the bank heist of the century. And, and in this bank heist of a century, he took $415 million in the middle of daytime in New York City, him, shotgun, and just some grit and wheel. It would be everywhere, because we can understand that. We can understand, even though it is a grandiose and almost grotesque amount of money, we can still understand somebody going to a physical place and just whoosh, taking it. But that's not how taxes work. There's nothing about them that is like, oh, this is fascinating, because really, tax codes are fascinating. Either you're an accountant or you haven't discovered anything else in your life other than math. Um, but that's just it. When the Times story was so well-researched, 18 months they poured into it, starting with a Google search that was into public records and then making Freedom of Information Act request after request after request after request to eventually compile a very concise story of a person who is villainous in his levels of cheating the United States tax codes. But once again, it's not a gun. It's not a bank. 
He's not in a mask. He's not robbing from any place that you can understand. Neither can I. But we have to. Because when it comes to this story, it has a lot of merit into what kind of person we are letting occupy the Oval Office. Now, I know what you're thinking, but Shaggy, the blue wave is coming. There'll be impeachments, I'm sure. And That's just it. See, when this story came out on Friday, it it basically sent shivers through the economic sectors and enforcement sectors of the American economy instantaneously. I mean, the repercussions of this, this unflattering, unjuicy, hard-to-understand, boring-ass New York Times piece has so much good information in it that it is liable to tie up the Trump family in litigation for years to come. Do you understand that it's not like something that just happens overnight? It's it's a compounding effect. Believe it or not, those things happen. Tiny little Tibbets come out, just like how the New York Times had to research this story. Tiny little nuggets come out, and then you grab onto those, and then you have to wait a long time for the next one to come along. And it might be a small, small morsel, but you put it with the one that you got. And over time and patience and digging and digging and digging for these small morsels, you end up with a story that is a nugget of gold that nobody can understand. And in fact is kind of discredited by the person the story is about in ways that you cannot imagine. Now, I know what you're thinking. No, 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 Shaggy. We've seen Donald's Twitter. We we know about him calling them a, a failing enterprise. We know all about his attorney coming out in the aftermath of the story and saying it's 100% fraudulent in this and nothing was true. We We know about that. But... When I say that Donald Trump's campaign against the failing New York Times is, 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 is different this time, it's because the subject of this story has to do with Donald Trump cheating the tax system in the United States. A fact that he has grinned, laughed, bragged about in rallies and and has told people repeatedly in interviews the reason I don't pay taxes is because I figured out how to beat the system. But it turns out that he really didn't. And that's what the New York Times figured out. It's all there in the print. But the problem is, is the print doesn't really do anything. So, of course, then you have, like, little tidbits of the story released to people like me, you know, radio people, and we talk about it, and we get you interested in it, and you go online, and you read the story. No, that doesn't work either, because, once again, I'm not talking about a, a, an affair. I'm not talking about the president paying off a porn star. I'm not talking about the time that Lindsey Graham straightened his tie in front of a screaming sexual assault victim on his way to elect an accused sexual offender to the Supreme Court, I. those stories have emotional meaning to you. You understand them. They anger you. They embitter you. They rile up a response because they're concepts that we understand. But when it comes to this New York Times piece 
on taxes, we have to understand that even if we can't comprehend all of the things in it, others can. And what they say about it is, well, shocking. The reason why is because over the years, Trump has consistently overvalued himself in the public eye, even famously lying himself onto the Forbes 500 list. Of course, now he's way down in it, and it's kind of an obscure thing around 200-something, but you get the picture. He lied his way onto that list, then used the prestige of that list to lie to investors about his net worth so that they would invest in his real estate holdings in New York, later the casino holdings and stuff that he, he eventually bankrupted out of. But Trump's entire fortune is built up on lies, and that is what the New York Times story was trying to say. In piece by piece, line by line, they, they dissect how consistently a liar Trump is when it comes to his wealth. When it comes to the IRS and the United States government, Donald Trump consistently has shown a pattern of lying, not fibbing, not exaggerating. You have to call it what it is because that's the only way people will really gravitate towards the story is you say, hey, the president lied. There'll be a bumper sticker someday, I'm sure. Oh, the president lied about tax codes. Nobody cares, but you should. Because it has been a consistent pattern over the life of Donald Trump to constantly lie to the United States government about what he has. And if you think that that was going to change when he was elected president, just on yesterday's program with me and Ron, we had brought up the whole fact that the Trump sons are running the Trump corporation empire, but still reporting its daily machinations to their dad in clear violation of the president not having a private company in the emoluments clause. But, you mentioned something like emolument clause, and they're like, <laughs> the president is doing something unconstitutional. Eh, what's the big deal? It's hard to drum up interest for stories that really matter like this. Because Donald Trump has lied to the United States government since the time that he was helping his father at the later end of his life run his real estate empire. And he actually took the whole mob approach to it with his dad and was like, hey, 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 pops, watch this. I'm going to undervalue this. I'm going to cut this off the books. I'm going to throw this into a shell company. We're going to write off some stuff here. Boom, we're living tax-free. Okay, well, at least at sharply, sharply discounted rates than what their financial holdings actually deemed that they should have been taxed at. And with these little bitty lies, like Hope Hicks said, little white lies, they've compounded over the years to amass $415 million in value. Now, remember how Donald Trump stated during his campaign, I started off with a small million-dollar loan from my father, and then it grew up to like $5 million, and then he quit talking about it 
because he was trying to downplay himself as one of those humble, pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstrap type. But it turns out that he's actually the antithesis of that. The, the hardworking, middle-class American citizen believes in a couple of things. Honesty and integrity being core to those beliefs. Now, if I'm off course here, you can stop me, but I don't think I am. Because if this was somebody in your working environment, if it was your direct supervisor, and you knew that he was stealing money from the company till, maybe skimming off the register, or moving things here or there, you would, you would feel hurt. Because as an employee of that company and as an underling of that supervisor, they're taking away from you. That's your company. Those are your things that they're stealing. And eventually, if they were to steal too much and the company was to go under, it would be you in the unemployment line just as well. And you would see something about that and you would, you would gravitate towards action because, God forbid, they're bankrupting the system that pays me. And that's what Donald Trump was doing. And when the New York Times wrote this story, they were undercut by the fact that he has bragged about those actions openly and consistently for a long time. And when asked about the confrontation, you know, asked, when confronted by reporters, I should say, about this New York Times story, the Donald, of course, just kind of grinned and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he knows. When you tell people like his base... Screw the government. I found out a way how. But all of you guys, you, 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 you pay your taxes. We'll make China pay and we'll make Mexico build a wall. But you pay your taxes. I'm not going to pay mine. You see, it kind of gets lost in all the other sensational stuff because the crowd would be cheering for the wall stuff. The crowd would be cheering over the, you know, we're going to get tough with China stuff. But in between that, if the Donald sprinkled in, and we're going to raise your taxes, oh, by the way, those tax cuts that I gave you, their, their economic benefits are going to run out really quickly in 2019, and we're going to find ourselves in a recession. In fact, the International Monetary Fund has downgraded economic growth because of the United States and its trade war with China. If he was able to murder all of that between stuff like, we're going to make Mexico pay for the wall, we're going we're gonna to make Canada be fair with us and open up the dairy markets, everybody would be cheering about the sensational stuff and not paying attention to the nuts and bolts stuff. And that's what happens in news cycles as well. Over the weekend, big news cycle was about Brett Kavanaugh. And I'm not downplaying the significance of that story. I spent all of last week talking about him and trying to dissuade a world gone mad from putting him on the Supreme Court. And this week, he sat down to work on the Supreme Court. Because that's a sensational story. It has a lot of things that are there that have emotion in them. But when it comes to the actual actions, I mean, you know, Lisa Murkowski's present vote aside, there was really no way that, that anybody could have realistically expected the Republicans were going to listen to reason. They have wanted a justice on the Supreme Court again for the longest time, going as far as denying the past president his appointee and making him wait 400 days without being called. 
So it's already something that when when you look into the total picture of it, this New York Times story just doesn't have enough fire to it to ignite your curiosity. And I think it should. I really think that it's time that me and you stop expecting the news to make us feel something and just expect the news to inform us. I know that's a pretty far concept in the world of 2018, but it's something that we really need to think about. Because with the way that the news cycles are going now, with the way that the mainstream media covers things, even when they're like New York Times and they're like, look, let's go and do some very responsible, long-form, invest the time to get the story right journalism, when the mainstream guys jump on stories, most of the time they're jumping on it and hoping that it increases viewership, readership, or listenership. And as such... When it comes to these stories of importance, like this tax story, they try to put as much detail in it, hoping to make it interesting, but at the end of the day, they make it a little confusing. It's very hard for the average American, and I am not saying that I am not average in this sense, it's very hard for us to understand hundreds of millions of dollars over decades. Because we don't understand that small little inconsequential actions compound up to bigger and bigger and bigger actions. And when it comes to Donald Trump lying, you should have seen this coming way back when. And that's what the New York Times story was really about. A systematic, pathological, modus operandi of lying about wealth. Lying about wealth to get on the list, lying about wealth to the United States government to undercut the taxes that the Trump uh, family was going to pay, lying about who owned what and helping his siblings set up little shell companies so that they could move massive amounts of money from their father's estate to their own estates, avoiding tax penalties. He kept lying again and again and again. And yet, when a story comes out and says, okay, look, for all the times that the media has come out there and sensationalized, hey, we found some dirt, woo! A lot of times the American public comes out and says, yes, not salacious enough. Come back when it's a mistress. Come back when it's something else. When it's not so boring, to pile through. And that's something that we really need to get over. News doesn't have to entertain you. News doesn't have to elicit an emotional response from you. News has to inform you. And when it comes to highly informative pieces about the president's behavior, the New York Times story, nuts and bolts, delivered time and time again when you were looking for something to go, oh my God, this is this is the horse that we're backing? The New York Times story was there to tell you, yeah, and you, you might have screwed the pooch on that one. But because the story's not juicy, because it's not sexy, it didn't gain, gain enough traction. And here it is, this week, I'm probably the first show that you've heard this whole tax thing mentioned on. And that's sad. 
Because not only do you, gentle listener, but I, gentle host, we have to do a better job of looking at the stories that have actual nuts and bolts, real scary implications that show patterns of pathological lying, that show patterns of bilking the same system that he expects others to live under. A president that has done so wrong with his wealth, there's no way he could be right. But it's not juicy enough. But it should be. Until next time, love you, mean it. Oh,